0: Snap Production. Ryan Shelton is a hugely successful comedian, actor, writer, radio and TV presenter. But his mum really knew he'd made it when his profile was published in the local Jewish news. In 2020, Shelton launched a unique and sort of daunting creative project, challenging himself to make and release a new piece of work on the 11th of every month. He made good on that promise for two full years. There's no question that Shelton is a hardworking, clever and funny guy. But what I really like about him is a willingness to be honest and vulnerable about things most people find hard to talk about, like feeling competitive with your mate's successes, or jealous of your friend's other friendships, or wondering if you'll ever be truly satisfied with your own achievements. My name is Jamila Risby, and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, Bron and I will bring you The Weekend List where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to. But first, here is my conversation with Ryan Shelton, one of the co-hosts of the wonderful Imperfects podcast. Hey, Ryan Shelton, welcome to The Weekend Briefing.
1: Thanks, Jamila. I feel I feel very honoured to be a guest on the weekend briefing. To be honest, the briefing, the weekend briefing, whatever briefing, yeah, it's very. Uh, it's. I feel like it's upper echelons of podcasting. I feel like this is like the. Yeah, I f- my parents will be excited.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do your parents get excited about stuff you do?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, yes, generally is the general answer, um, but particularly the fact that I'm speaking to you. Um, my mum will be very excited. <laughs> All right.
0: Look, I'm going to take that compliment. But I'm also going to ask, prior to this being the most impressive day of your life, according to your parents, <laughs> yep. like when have they been most impressed with your work? Because you've done such a whole bunch of stuff, such a range of work, and we're going to get into a lot of it. But I'm interested to know what your parents think, what they rate as like the number one achievement.
1: Well, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I think, I think generally speaking, I would say, and very understandably, I would say that when I'm validated by big, companies or very famous people that is the very fast like, oh great, channel nine wants to do a show or oh my god, that's so good. That makes sense. But I think over the years, I think they've they've come to appreciate the stuff that I do just by myself. Like my videos that I make, I think they've come to appreciate that just as much as the the big jobs. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. My mum's one of those who, if I'm on Radio National, she's very excited because yeah. one of her friends might be listening. Anything yeah. else doesn't really,
1: doesn't oh. really rate. When I was like uh, just starting out, like in my 20s, I was, I think when I was on Rove or I was on, uh, something had just happened. I got a job somewhere and I was in the Jewish news. And wow. for my grandparents, that was Mecca. Like that was like for them, all their friends read the Jewish news. Like that was enormous. That was enormous.
0: I love that you just referenced Mecca in the Jewish news chat. Um, <laughs> Well done, well done. Let's go back in time a bit, though, before we get to Rove time. Tell me Mm. about you at school. You went to school in Melbourne, yeah. Like, were you the funny kid?
1: Uh, I don't think so. Not in the traditional sense. I don't think I was. I definitely wasn't like a class clown. I was very much a good boy. I wanted to follow the rules and I wanted to do the right thing. So I I wasn't unfunny, but I was. um, I was in the school plays and I did. I definitely did comedy things but I, I don't think I was the person making everyone laugh all the time or yeah. anything like that, yeah. But I definitely wanted to be in comedy.
0: Good boy or good girl is one of those phrases that always sounds funny to me coming out of an adult's mm. mouth.
2: Oh, like yeah. it's the sort
0: of thing like that my seven-year-old says, like am I was I a good boy, mummy? And then when yeah. I hear an adult say it, I'm always like, ah.
1: It is, but I, mean, I guess it is in talking about my... As, I mean, I guess talking about myself as a child. Yeah. It's sort of like I was on a plane the other day and <laughs> and it just occurred to me how funny adults on planes is. Like when they, especially when they get given their, I mean, I'm talking about airline food. This is ridiculous as a comedy discussion, but but it's like, but the funniness of adults getting their own little packed lunch <laughs> and sitting yeah. in like, you know, a little cutlery and it's just a very childish thing. It seems quite funny to me.
0: Also people get very upset on planes. So in the same way that my son comes home and is like, why did I get ham and cheese when I would have liked jam in my mm. sandwich for lunch, adults on playing can be like, what do you mean you don't have apple juice? Like, yeah. sorry, why <laughs> am I here? Yes. So your media career, I believe, started sort of in the community kind of mm. media scene. You were producing shows for RMIT's student TV company. You were also doing stuff for Channel 31. And yep. I think for Campus Radio, Sin. like a lot of these yeah. are like – the first line of so many Australian media or TV performers resumes. Was that a space for you where you started to find people who kind of aligned?
1: Yeah well I mean, I was lucky that I already had a little core group like because I went to school with Hamish Blake and another friend of mine Tim Bartley who I still we, you know we still work together today
2: yeah, um, wow. but because
1: we went to high school together uh, and then we met well, Hamish met Andy in uni and we kind of formed this just, you know, casual group. We just like made just comedy sketches, you know, in our, in our free time. So doing a show on CineFM and then Channel 31, it was very exciting because this is, this is pre-YouTube and this is pre- you know, the only pathway to having a, a career in television or media yeah. was was community radio or community television. So, you know, we'd find these people who were making shows and we could operate cameras and actually have our sketches on television was enormous. Yeah. It, it was enormous. So, yeah, that, I mean, that, we, we, we kind of got an opportunity to make stuff together on a, in a more professional sense, but we were already doing stuff together.
0: mm I was sitting there with uh, essentially your resume that um, our wonderful producer Bron put together and just looking through the, sort of the list of your various achievements and things. One of the interesting things I found is that you go in and out of being in front of the camera or on air to working behind the scenes and doing more of the writing and the scripting kind of work and then back again. Mm. Uh, I'm wondering, did you in those early days working in the sort of community space in those uni days, was that something you planned for or did you have a sense of I want to be doing this?
1: Uh, no, not much was planned, uh, <laughs> t- because, because I never, t- like, to be honest, when I was starting out, I never really, truly believed that, um, like, I wanted to have a career in television and media and comedy, mm. but if I'm honest, I never really truly believed that I could do that, Yeah, like, I didn't think it was a possible you know, especially back then because the pathway was – it was so hard to get in yeah. and there wasn't you – you couldn't just – there was no social media and there was no YouTube, so you, you couldn't create your own opportunities like you can now. So I didn't believe it would happen. So when – it was really just following the opportunities that came up and if it seemed like something that would be fun or something I could do, uh, then I thought, like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's do that now. So the jumping from performing to writing to producing, it wasn't because I had a bevy of choices and, and chose, oh, I'm going to turn down those three performing jobs and produce. It was like, well, that was what came up at that time. Yeah. Um, because maybe something else didn't work out and I was like, oh, maybe I'll just now, now I'll do this. So it was really just following opportunities, I guess.
0: Mm. If you kind of always thought this is probably not going to work out as a career, did you have, did you have a backup?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. My, my, that was my mum's big thing. It was like, you've got to have a backup. Yeah. So I, in, in uni, I studied advertising. Yeah. Right. Like in, in high school, I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be in comedy, but I thought I would be in advertising. So I, I assumed that I would go into advertising, like do the advertising course, which I, you know, at RMIT, which I got into. And I just assumed that I would go down that path and become a copywriter and, and make beer ads. Like that was just sort of what I hoped. That was my hope in a realistic sense, but in a dream sense, it was to to be in television and make things, yeah.
0: You are, well, originally one half, now I believe one third of the hosting team on the Resilience Project podcast, yeah. which just seems to go from strength to strength. Uh, it's one of those ones where I feel like every conversation I have with someone now, they tell me I should be listening and I get on my high horse and say, I have been listening I've for a while. I was here first. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me about the ideas behind starting that in the first place because I think the Imperfects focus on on vulnerability and imperfections, mm. I hear that and if you told me about that podcast for the first time, for some reason I would assume there were going to be women hosting. I think men tend mm. to be less good at being vulnerable. Is that fair?
1: Oh, I'd say so. I mean like I, th- I, I would assume most of our audience is also probably women because – I mean, I don't really know why, but my guess would be that from a generally speaking, at least in speaking to my girlfriend and because we've discussed this as well and definitely like with Hugh and Josh who I ho- co-host the Imperfects with, we do talk about it as well because obviously people listen to the Imperfects and they think, oh, this will be good for men because it's three men speaking. And it is really good for, for men, I think, because and I, and I see that and we get a lot of feedback, a lot of like amazing messages from men who if i look at their instagram profile they're eating pineapple donuts and drinking strawberry milk at 10:30 you know like they're <laughs> on site they're they're the sort of guy that is the very traditional australian tradie kind mm. of bloke but of course they're people of course they're imperfect and whether they talk about it or not they're struggling in some way so it's it's been really really nice to get messages from people like that or the girlfriends or wives of people like that to let us know that it has been a gateway for men like that to maybe be a little bit more self-reflective and to try and understand or even confront why they're sad or depressed or comparing themselves unfairly to their friends and feeling shit about themselves because their friend is doing better.
0: One of the things a show like that requires you to do is you have to actually live the premise of the show, right? Mm. Which is not as much fun. As coming up with the premise of the show, yeah. <laughs> have you have you found that challenging? And when have you been at your most vulnerable talking to the others?
1: Yeah, I mean, like starting the podcast, it really came from, the full story is probably too long for this episode, but essentially to try and cut it down, um, I was on the verge of, you know, what could have turned into a midlife crisis of sorts. Um, not in a dramatic way. I wasn't in, in dire straits or anything like that, but uh, I was definitely questioning what things I was questioning like why am I doing what i 'm doing, mm. um, if I get all the things that I truly want, um, will it make me happy? And when I realized that getting all the things that my ego really wanted, which was like praise and awards and validation, it wouldn 't actually fill any holes it wouldn't it wouldn 't actually make me happy, whatever that is. I would need to replace it immediately with something else of the yeah. same ilk because. I mean, without going too much into the ego, but the ego is like an unfillable bucket. It's just like this infinite hole. So I, I kind of had this realisation and, and when I, when I realised this, I was like, shit, well, this is bad. What, what should I be doing then? And the first person I thought to contact was Hugh and I'd only met Hugh once. Yeah, he right. Came up to me in a, he came up to me in a cafe like years earlier and he told me what he did because he, he does talks in front of thousands of people and he talked about resilience and gratitude and empathy. And I was, I was so amazed and, and, like, I admired that so much. And he told me that sometimes he, he doesn't feel up to doing those talks. Like he, he has to be up and he has to be energized. Yeah. Um, but sometimes he feels down. He's had a bad day. Mm. And he told me when he met me in the cafe, he said, when I'm feeling down and I need to feel energized and happy, I'll watch your videos on Instagram and then I'll be ready to go. Uh, and that'll put me in the mindset to be able to do it. And that was just the most incredible feedback I'd ever received. Um, knowing that, a stupid video of me running around my house in a wig could inspire someone to talk to people about stuff that really matters. So I contacted him and we started a friendship and then he was able to talk to me and just listened really and I went down my own path and journey and I talk about this in one of the episodes on the, on the Imperfects but to get to your question it gave me I guess a platform having the podcast while the, the premise of the podcast is to get guests like yourself to come on and talk vulnerably about their own struggles despite what people might think when they look at them and think oh well you're famous and you're on Instagram you're going on these beautiful holidays but they come onto our podcast and talk about what their life is really like or struggles they've had in the past. Just to remind everyone that doesn't matter how someone's life may appear, everyone is imperfect. And the more we did that, the more, yeah, it became apparent to us that we have to walk the walk. If we're going to get people on to say these things, we have to do the same. And so, you know, I've been on commercial radio years ago and did it for two years and it was really really interesting, but I was never willing to talk about my personal life. I just did not like the idea of sharing anything. This was like 10, 12 years ago.
0: And you are expected to do that in commercial radio, right? Kind of mine your own yeah. life for material.
1: You're you definitely asked to and encouraged to. Um, I guess they can't really force you, but, um, but it's definitely, I think what the audience probably expects, um, because they want to get to know you, but I just wasn't willing to do it and I think because I wasn't ready to talk about it I wasn't ready to and I di- it didn't feel authentic or real it just felt like it would be forced and and I and I felt weird about it at the time because I felt like I was doing it for the wrong reasons you know it's like that great saying which I only just heard the other day it's like doing the right thing for the wrong reasons and I didn't couldn't articulate it then but I felt like that's what I would have been doing whereas doing it now it feels like it makes sense to me and I can understand the value in it for people because I could see the value it had when other people came onto our podcast and talked about how they were imperfect I could see the feedback and I could see how it was helping people once I understood that then sharing being vulnerable was easy because it was like well this is worthwhile this isn't me grandstanding this isn't me trying to get attention or clicks or anything it's like speaking directly to the people that I think might benefit from it. And that that, that has been extremely rewarding and it's a really nice thing to be able to do.
0: How does that gel with you for a comedy career? Because I'm not a comedian, but as a comedian, I feel like so much of your focus is on the lightness and the kind of stuff of life we don't necessarily think about that brings us relief and humour through that relief. Occasionally you get into the heavy stuff and you get comedians who go into that space on the regular, but I feel like if you do it too much, then the funny goes away.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Did it take a bit of getting used to for you to kind of move into that world?
1: Yeah, it did. Except I mean, I feel yes, I know exactly what you mean, and that was definitely my fear ten years ago. Like that was mm. definitely my worry that, like, no, I wanna be I wanna be like Sean McAuliffe. I wanna be um, considered just like this comedy, you know, aficionado, brilliant genius, which is how I feel about Sean. And I, I admire Sean's career so much and how, he, how seriously he takes silliness was something that I always tried to emulate. So I really wanted to protect that, I guess. And so that's, I think, was a big reason why I didn't want to be one of those... I didn't want to overshare because it was like, oh, you're going to think... People are going to think I'm taking myself too seriously. And, like, that would be horrible for my comedy reputation or whatever yeah. <laughs> but I think it all depends on what sort of comedy you want to make uh, and what sort of what makes you because you don't have to be honest and vulnerable to make comedy that makes people happy uh the, the silliest the person who doesn't share a thing about their personal life and is hilarious can have just as big an impact as a comedian who shares their story honestly like there's no rules but I think it, it, just as it's happened organically for me, I think it's helped my comedy, it's helped my writing because now I've become just so obsessed in telling the truth because all the comedy that I watch and the things that I love the most are often the comedies that sometimes aren't funny. Yeah, uh, they're, they're the comedies that are people putting themselves in the show and it feels really true and you might not laugh for 15 minutes but then that laugh at the 16th minute is huge it's different. It's a different type of comedy, but it's it's no better or worse than just silliness. But it's the thing that I'm interested in right now.
0: You launched um, a new project in 2020 where you decided you were going to make and release a new piece of work mm. every month. Yes. And I follow you on social media. I remember seeing that and just as a fellow creative, like it made me feel sick. The (laughs) idea of putting that kind of pressure on yourself Mm. to be like, I will get things done uh, and I will have great new ideas always on a schedule Mm. uh, was terrifying. Can you tell me a little bit about how that played out and how ultimately you you smashed the goal?
1: It it really came from years of frustration of waiting to be given permission to make the things I wanted to make. Yeah, right. So I'd spent years developing and pitching my own TV show ideas and it came at the same time as my realisation of like, oh, if I get everything I wanted, I've wanted my whole life, then I won't be happy. Part of that equation was getting my own TV show and winning the Emmy for, you know, that that's sort of part of the best-case scenario for a comedian who wants to make a show. Like yeah. that's, whether you admit it or not, like... Of course, that would be great. So I realized that it didn't matter if I got that. It wouldn't affect my happiness. But I realized what does affect my happiness is the process of making things with people I love and then being able to release something that is going to make other people feel happy or joyful or just even for a minute in their day. And so part of that was setting myself a deadline or a, a discipline, like a creative practice really. Yeah. Uh, I really, like I've always really admired painters who have like a show that they've got to do a bunch of paintings for a show that is like locked in on this date and they do whatever they can. They work as hard as they can, but there is a finite amount of time to do mm. it. And I hadn't really thought too much about how hard that would be. I mean, I knew it would be challenging, but I also knew that in the past, I think we all know that feeling of like, oh, shit, that thing's due in three days that you've had three months to do. But you do it, you get it done. Even if you stay up all night, you get it done. And I just wanted to try that as an experiment to see what work could I produce and how would the process be if I give myself a month to make a piece of work every month and put that out there to the audience so I have some accountability. Everyone's expecting, well, everyone, the, the 100 or 200 people or so that cared, we're expecting something on the 11th of every month Yeah. and I had to deliver. I had to do something and it was extremely hard and I had no idea that a pandemic was about to hit so that became part of it as well. Yeah, It's the hardest and probably one of the most rewarding creative things I've ever done because if I hadn't have done that, there's no way I would have produced 22 things in two years. I just wouldn't have. I would have oohed and art about two or three of them and like sat on them or or like abandoned them because it was too hard, but you force yourself to get through the the discomfort because there's a deadline.
0: And I think as a result of that somewhat serendipitous timing, I think you gave a lot of people a lot of relief during those long lockdowns, right? And I know so many of my mates were would hang out for the 11th because it was just something to look forward to that was joyful and funny in a time where there wasn't a lot to look forward to
1: <laughs> hearing that Jamila on, honestly is just it's the nicest feeling yeah. to hear that because it because I didn't really, other than the odd people who actually make the effort to comment on Instagram you know I'm not usually someone who does that but I, I just thank God for people who make the effort to comment nice things on Instagram Oh, I because, know right
0: I never comment yeah. but I Neither. I like getting comments <laughs>
1: I know it's true it's like that I mean I whenever people would write nice things it's so lovely but yeah every now like I I remember I released one one day and my girlfriend was at work and she secretly recorded her boss watching my video and laughing (laughs) and it's just so rare that you get to hear a a true Mm. response from someone without them knowing that I'm hearing it or anyone's watching it so I mean not that it's all about the feedback and the and the validation but just hearing that it it had a positive effect on people was just it's so nice it's so nice
0: you said one of the reasons that you decided to set yourself that challenge was that you were sick of drawing up the proposal and sending it off to tv companies and things not getting developed you are now making an original comedy series and it's with a new la-based production company can you tell us a bit about it
1: Well, it's, it's still, um, it's early.
0: You're not allowed to tell us anything, are you?
1: Well, it's not even pitched yet. We don't, it's just being developed. So it's not even guaranteed that it will ever see the light of day, but I have spent the last six or seven months developing that and, you know, sort of tying it together with everything I was just talking about with vulnerability. It's the most honest thing I've ever written, which, you know, everyone says that, but not only is it like honest, but I feel like it's just been this incredible therapy to to write this show because it is about. Oh, wow. It's quite literally about me, and it's and it's very. Um, it's sort of a, a weird word to say sometimes, but it's a very meta idea. Um, it involves me, and then also it, it tells a story about me and my girlfriend, my current girlfriend, and hopefully forever girlfriend, I was um, about to say, we'll
0: Cut the word current. <laughs>
1: No, no, no. So, the, the, the beautiful, incredible woman that I am with, Jamison, and we were traveling in Europe for a bit, and I was writing while I was over there. And any issues that Jam and I have had over the years, and particularly as I've been working really, really hard on whether it be that 11th project or the podcast or dealing with working while you're traveling, particularly when you're writing about your relationship in real time as it's happening, was just, it was. Uh, wow. It was really confronting and we had some really, really challenging moments, but I've come out the other side and I think we're much better for it. So even if the show never gets up, it's been very, very worthwhile. (laughs) It's
0: been good for relationships and life.
1: Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's been great.
0: Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your creative process today, telling us, uh, kind of giving us a bit of a window into parts of your life. I think you're going to have to come back.
1: Oh, it would be... A pleasure. I'm really, I loved it. Thank you so much, Jamila.
0: That's it for my conversation with Ryan Shelton. A reminder that you can catch him on The Imperfects, his wonderful podcast that he co-hosts with Hugh Van Seilenberg, who we have also interviewed for The Weekend Briefing. So if you enjoyed listening to Ryan, head back to the feed and see if you can check out Hugh's version of this podcast as well. Don't go away. The Weekend List is coming up. It is weekend list time. Bron is here and we are going to let you know what we will be listening, doing, eating, reading. Oh gosh, it's been a while since we read anything though. Sorry, everyone. No one's reading though, right? We're going to recommend some stuff you'll actually do this weekend. Bron is going to start. What do you got?
2: Well, with Halloween coming up, I thought, why not watch Hocus Pocus? I had never seen it before and thought, you know what, it's probably finally time to get around to it. You know, it is such a cult classic that people talk about all the time, especially like this time of year. So it's about the three, I'm sure lots of people have seen it, but it's about the three Sanderson sisters who are witches living in Salem. They're brought back from the dead by a teenage boy on Halloween night. It's very silly, very goofy, sort of like classic Tropes of Halloween vibes. The original Hocus Pocus is very like nostalgic, family-friendly. Like if you have kids or you know want to throw back to the 90s, it is a very perfect film to do that. They also recently released Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney Plus. Um, with the original Sanderson sisters played by the same characters. You've got Bet Midler, uh Sarah Jessica Parker, they're yes. all they're all there, the iconic trio it's very much, yeah, plays in the same areas as the original film. Like they bring it into the modern days. There's a few more jokes about technology, but you know, the, the same sort of humor and spirit. So if you liked the original, I think you would definitely find something to like about the second one that just came out on Disney+. I tell you what, all the remakes and the like the modern day versions of something
0: that used to be around. I get really on my high horse and I'm like, why don't they just do something original until they remake something I loved? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) put it like, put it in my veins. How could I get it? Uh, That sounds so good. I want to recommend a podcast for which I am not the target audience and yet I really loved it. Hamish Blake has a new podcast out which is called How Other Dad's Dad and it dropped into my recommendations and As a mum, I'm really interested in parenting, uh, regardless of who's doing the parenting. And gender is sort of a thing that I'm really interested in and sort of gender roles. And I was excited to check it out, but I did so not really knowing what to expect. And in the first episode, Hamish interviews Rob Stitch, who is, of course, an actor and a creator who's behind shows like Frontline, the movie The Castle, like classic, incredible Australian television. And together they break down how they parent and Rob Stitch has five kids and they talk together about parenting techniques, I suppose, but not in a pathetic, awful baby book kind of way, right? Like in a really relatable, interesting, fun way and I found myself pulling open the notes app on my phone and actually writing down things that they were saying. Uh, I don't think this is a podcast for dads. I think it's a podcast for parents.
1: The thing I remember is, after 36 hours in a maternity hospital, you pick up the child and go to your car and like a 40-year experienced maternal nurse doesn't drive with you. Yeah. They open the boom gate and that's it. You go, <laughs> you go home without a licence to look after a child and that's the terrifying bit. That's the scary thing about being a dad is no matter what, There is not a ripcord. It's almost at the door. It's almost like the entire maternal
2: nursing system at the door says, you know from now on, we don't care. (laughs) (laughs) See ya." My next one is a three-part Netflix docuseries. It's called Eat the Rich, the GameStop saga. Um, It's about a community of these, like, amateur traders who tried to get this plan to get rich quick and kind of wreak havoc on the stock market by beating Wall Street at their own game. It goes into how hedge funds and kind of other investors can bet on a company doing poorly and then make money that way, kind of guessing that this company is going to do bad. So this happened uh, a little while ago. You might have heard about it in the media, but they bet on this company GameStop in the US, which would kind of be similar to EB Games, I guess, here in Australia, uh, doing poorly with people thinking that people will buy Games, like online games uh, on the internet rather than go to a brick and mortar store. Uh, So amateur traders saw that these hedge funds and investors were trying to cheat the system, kind of, and were short selling the stock. And then they thought they would flip it on on its head start investing more into gamestop which rose the price and all these people on wall street lost their money uh basically so millions of people were on this reddit thread it kind of goes into like how memes basically broke the stock market and it was just wild like i can't believe what actually happened it changed wall street changed the stock market in general it is just yeah crazy what unfolded
1: GameStop just went nuclear. What just happened? Elon tweets out, he's a big daddy, you know.
2: That's when it started becoming really fun for us.
1: The sentiment was one of revenge, robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. They had big swagger. There's a new sheriff in town.
0: The market broke and we're the new market. That sounds so watchable. And I've got to say, I'm one of those people for whom uh, the investment space is like a I- I don't, I don't know anything. And so I like anything that even just helps explain it a little bit as well as being really entertaining from sort of a storytelling perspective. My final recommendation is a super fun one. I want to recommend a Melbourne beauty brand and I'm going to throw out a few of their particular products. They're called Holme Beauty. I hope I said that okay. H-O-L-M-E folks. There's an L in there, but I found that that hard to say. Um, They're called Holme Beauty and uh, they've only released a few products so far, but there's a couple of things I like about them. Firstly, they create products for people with a whole variety of skin tones and some of the big makeup brands don't do that. And the fact that a little one can is really rad. Um, I like a whole bunch of their products and use them regularly. My absolute favourite is um, their primers and they come in a couple of shades and I am one of those people who has olive toned skin. My dad's Indian, my mum's Australian and so I just like do half of each and I don't know, I I love the idea that we've got some homegrown brands coming uh, along in this space who are trying to make it and compete with some of those big guys. That's it for the weekend briefing. Thank you so much for sharing our company this morning. I also want to say hello to the many briefing and weekend briefing listeners who've come up to me uh, at events and functions over the last few weeks. I've been doing a whole lot of traveling around the country for some other work, and I just keep meeting people who listen to the podcast. Thank you for sharing your beautiful feedback and for being such loyal listeners. For the rest of you, be more like them. The best way to be more like them is, of course, to download the Listener app and you can follow the briefing there or you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and a review while you're there. It will absolutely make both mine and bronze day. We will be back bright and early on Monday morning where Tom and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones.
2: Listener.